Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The dangers of comparison. Yes. Those notes, okay. If somebody is, uh, has those notes, there's a few uh, brothers. Who doesn't have these notes? Uh, the dangers of comparison right down here. If you'll, if you'll get these to those, okay, good, yeah. Let's go ahead, pass those out to those brothers, good. Are these notes helpful to you guys? Because yes. I know there's not only what I wrote down, but sometimes you need something to write down what the Holy Spirit is saying to you also. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And the Holy Ghost, I know he's talking out here. And sometimes he'll say something to you that you'll say, oh, yeah, this is, and it connects some dots right there. So it helps me to track. It helps you to track with me, but also gives you something to write on the habit in a place where you can track what the Holy Spirit's saying to you. The dangers of comparison. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you today that we've looked at, Father, some final words uh, and a final charge to sons. But now, Father, we come to this place on one of the greatest hindrances to our progress, and that is the hindrance of comparison. I pray that you open our ears so that we can hear and open our eyes so we can see. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. One of the greatest hindrances uh, to progress is, listen, complaining Competing and comparing, complaining. Those are the three C's competing and comparing. Sometimes we don't make progress because we just complaining about where we are in life, complaining about what other people have done or have not done for us. Sometimes we don't make progress in life because we're competing all the time. We're competing sometimes with other people's self-interest, competing with other people's goals, And sometimes competing with other people's achievement, thinking that we have minimized our own achievement. But comparing ourselves is one of the greatest hindrances to progress. You see, comparing yourself with others is a losing proposition uh, because, uh, you see, we have some commonalities. However, we are all different. One of Israel's greatest challenges in its history They kept comparing themselves to other nations. They worship an immortal and eternal, invisible God. The other nations had idols that had visible gods out of wood, stone and precious metal. And when Israel started comparing themselves to those other nations, comparison led to copying what they did. And many times they were led into captivity, Assyrian captivity, Babylonian captivity, uh, and they and they were led there because they began to compare themselves with others. Now, listen, God creates us. God, God loves us equally. However, he treats us uniquely and comparing yourself with others is a losing proposition. You'll never win that one because you're not that other person. Miles Monroe put it like this. You are created unique. He said, but don't die a copy. You are created unique. Don't die a copy. And then he said that you are a marvelous creation the way that God created you. But you are sad copy of someone else. Listen, we have some commonalities. However, we're different and God loves us equally. However, he treats us uniquely because we are all different. And so the dangers of comparison hinders our progress. And even as you are pouring into the 
sons and daughters that God has given unto you, whether they are biological sons and daughters, spiritual sons and daughters, whether they're peer ministry or collegial ministries in a marketplace. Friends, don't compare yourself with anyone. You're totally unique. God views you in, in, in the area of uniqueness. Now, Paul went through this thing of comparison because second Corinthians is a letter that Paul has to write to validate his apostleship because people are comparing him with Cephas, Peter. They're comparing him with Apollos. They're comparing him with some of the other notable apostles that are around. And Paul writes this astounding statement in second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. He says, we do not dare to class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they are measuring themselves by themselves, comparing themselves among themselves. They are not wise. However, we will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the spear which God appointed us, a spear that especially includes you. He says, for we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you. For it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things beyond measure. That is in another man's labor, but having hope that as your faith increased, we are greatly enlarged in you, in our spear. We to preach the gospel in regions beyond you and not boast in another man's spear of accomplishment. Don't compare. Don't compare. Paul said in his day, there were people that were measuring themselves by themselves and measuring themselves among themselves. When you and I as a Christian, the measurement that we should try to measure up to is Ephesians chapter four, that we would grow up to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Christ is my model for leadership. Christ is my model for manhood. That's the standard I look to. I don't compare myself to Barack Obama. I don't compare myself to Donald Trump. I don't compare myself to Joe Biden. I don't compare myself uh, to the governor of our state or the mayor of my city. I don't compare myself to other, uh, the other ministers. Our standard is the standard of Christ. Let that be your measurement. I want to measure up to the standard of Christ. Measure up to the fullness of the measure of him. Let me tell you some of the dangers of comparison and complaining and competing. First of all, we read in the first chapter of the, uh, I'm sorry, the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis, where one brother compares his worship with another brother and he gets mad. This is the first example. Also in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Abel offered up a more excellent sacrifice than Cain and his blood is yet speaking. And he did it by faith. Cain compared himself with Abel and he murdered a family member. The first brother killed his brother, brother on brother crime. The FBI statistics on crime say that white people basically kill white people and black people basically kill black people. It's not only black on black crime, there's white on white crime. Most murders and most homicides are interracial homicides and murder. You only hear about black on black crime when people don't want to talk about uh, about criminal activity in other communities. But friends, basically people kill, Asians kill people the majority of the time. 
France, the first brother killed his brother. When I'm walking down the street, somebody said, hey, brother, what's happening? I'm very careful who I call brother because the first brother (laughs) killed his brother. (laughs) So I want you to understand what was the source. Cain looked at his brother's worship, which was acceptable, compared his worship with it that God rejected and he got angry and he killed his brother. Listen, don't complain and don't compare yourself with other people. Worship the way that God has uniquely called you to worship. Some people dance in their worship. I've never been a dancer. Okay, people say, well, you black, black people for to be able to dance. I've never been a dancer. <laughs> now, I can sway to the music and clap while I'm swaying. I clap on three and four. Some of you clap on one and three. That's all right. By the time we all get together, we don't miss a beat. So I can sway and clap and I think that's unique, but I don't dance, but I don't compare my worship with dancers. One time, John, somebody had the, we have a dance company at our church and somebody had a strange idea. They wanted the elders to lead in on this profession, processional and dance. I just told them no. And they said, well, why not? And I said, cause I said so No. I said, well, the Bible says, praise God in the dance. I say, when you see me doing this, I'm dancing. And don't, don't, don't do that. One, one, once last year, I had a chance to go teach a missions class, a uh, perspective on world evangelism. And I did it out in Plain City in a Mennonite church. Well, I'm in this Mennonite church and they give me four hours to teach two hours, a little break and another hours. And the chapter that they gave me was unleashing the gospel. Well, I have all these Mennonite men and women in there and, 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 and I'm in there prepared, man. I'm laying it on them and they're sitting there like this. Two hours. Not an amen, not a head nod. And we took a break and I want to go over in the corner and pray, say, God, I miss you. I I didn't seek you. And this bearded Amish, a man, Mennonite now, came up to me and he came up and said, brother, we are so enjoying you. And I kind of gave him the look, you know, like, really? And then he got ready to walk away, came back. He said, oh, he said, I forgot. He said, we German." And he said, and as Germans, we don't show emotion. And then he said this. He said, when you see me leaning in, he said, that's an amen. (laughs) He said, when you see us unfold our arm, he said, that's running around the church. (laughs) And he said, he said, I know we're not black. He said, but we are enjoying you. I said, okay, Lord. Listen to me. Listen to me. Don't compare because you'll never win that proposition. Listen, don't complain. Remember, Jacob was complaining about his wife, Leah, because he wanted to marry Rachel. And in Genesis 29, 30, it says, and he went into Rachel and he loved her also more than Leah. He's comparing the two wives. He worked seven years to get Rachel and they slip in Leah. And now he has to work seven more years. He said, and he served with him yet seven other years. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated and he opened her room, but Rachel was barren. Listen, 
Jacob compared Leah with Rachel. He hated Leah. He loved Rachel. Now, he didn't hate her too much because they started cranking out babies. I mean, they had a lot of babies. And they were comparing with each other. Now, now, Rachel, she gets angry because Leah is having all these children and she can't even conceive. Because anger with your sister will produce barrenness. Barrenness. It'll cut off your fruitfulness. Anger with her sister. And finally, God opened her womb. She, she starts saying, give me children lest I die. I heard Tommy Barnett preach that one time right here in this church. Give me children lest I die. He said, it's the cry of an evangelist. Give me children lest I die. I want to produce something. I want to birth something. And God opened her womb. Friends, don't complain because it can produce family turmoil. I love the story of Jacob, Rachel and Leah, because that's the first time you see baby mama drama in the Bible. When you read this story, (laughs) this is the first time you see a dysfunctional family in the Bible. And friends, you start seeing all this inner family turmoil that comes from comparing one woman with another and then also one complaining about another. Don't compete. Y'all remember Joseph? Brothers competed with him because his father gave him the coat of many colors. And that next one is don't compete. Joseph's brothers competed with him and they set out a conspiracy to murder him. Their competing with him caused them to want to kill him. Don't complain. Don't compare and don't compete with someone else. It produces a murderous plot that sent Joseph all the way down to Egypt In Genesis chapter 37 and verse number five, don't compare, don't complain and don't compete because it will be there. Sometimes people in our church come and tell me some things that other churches are doing. And I say, but this is Rhema Christian Center. Now, don't get me wrong. Some things are duplicatable and portable and transferable, but I cannot be what God has not called us to be. At our church, we have three cornerstones. We reach the lost, that's evangelism, train for service, that's discipleship, and we change our world. That's global missions uh, globally, and we change our world locally by doing the work of justice locally. That's what we do. But other churches have different uh, ideals. Now, listen to me. Point number two, People preach with different kind of motives. So don't compare yourself if you're a preacher or an oracle gift or a teacher with somebody else because people preach from different motives and from different perspective. All of us that preach, preach through different lenses. And and many of us who are pastors, we have to put on a different lens. This year, I might have a family lens on. So I preach the Bible from a family lens. I look at the Bible with the families in the Bible. This year, I might have a faith lens. So I put on the faith lens to preach the Bible. This year, I might have on a finance lens. So I put the finance lens on and preach the finance lens. This year, I might be preaching on end times or the doctrine of last things, eschatology. So I put on the eschatology lens. This year, I might preach on grace. So I put on the grace lens. All of us preached with a different lens on to make people whole. We have to switch lens every now and then. But people have different motivation in preaching with these lenses on. Some people find out what's the most lucrative message for right now. And that's what they're going to preach. What message is going to bring in the most money? And whatever the most popular message is, 
that is the most lucrative. That's what they preach. Here's what Paul said. This is not a new phenomenon in, in, uh, in uh, Philippians chapter one, verse 12. He writes the church of Philippi, New Living Translation. He says, I want you to know, my brethren, he says his sisters, that everything that happened to me here has helped the spread the good news. Paul was jailed while he's writing from jail. The, Phil- the church of Philippians sends him an offering for support. He says, everyone here, while I've been in jail, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in these chains because of Christ. And he says, and because of my imprisonment, he says, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldness to speak God's message without fear. He said, it's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. Others are preaching about Christ with pure motivations. They preach because they love me for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others uh, do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach for selfish ambition, not sincerity, intending to make my change more painful to me. He said, but that doesn't matter. Whatever their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached every Every way, either, either way, so I rejoice. I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me, the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, and this will lead to my deliverance. Some motives are pure, some motives are impure, and that's why we don't compare ourselves with other people. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Philippians 1, 12, and I read through verse number 19, 12 through 19, Philippians 1. Glad you asked. And I was reading the New Living Translation. It kind of brings it into modern language, okay? We set? Great. I don't mind interruptions also in sessions like this with men. Okay, so not out of order. Okay, so it says some motivations are pure and some motivations are selfish. Some are there. And friends, I think it's important that we understand and search our own motivations and not compare ourselves, not compare ourselves with other people's preaching style. I know some guys that can preach and when they get finished, people are up running around, even people that don't run, get up and run around. I mean, they are just motivational and stimulating the emotions as well as giving good contact. There are some people that are more in a teaching mode. There are some people that no matter how they preach, it's going to be evangelistic. Some people are going to get saved. Tommy Barnett is one of those. I believe you can put him in a room and he's going to preach the gospel and people are going to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that you and I cannot preach comparing ourselves because some people's motives are pure and some are selfish ambition. There's a book that was written called Why Do I Do What I Do? Why do I do that? It's understanding and mastering your motives. And it's by George New and by David Cormitt. And basically in the book to kind of bring it down, uh, they, they say that people have three basic motivations. Some people are motivated by achievement, some by affiliation and some by power. These are three basic motivations. Uh, achievement is that some people just have ambition. They just want to be seen and they just want to accomplish. Some of us not to be seen by men, but some of us just for accomplishment. Listen to me now. Some for affiliation, some uh, they're motivated to be associated with other folks 
associated with other folks, associated with other folks and to have access to other folks. Some people, that's their motivation for access. Finally, some is for power. Some people, they're motivated because they like control. They like power. And so because of power and control and empowerment, that is their motivations. In our faith, we ought to be motivated by a thing called love. I'm motivated because I love God with all my heart, my soul, my mind and my strength. I'm motivated because I love to love my neighbor as I love myself. Love, God's love is always seeking the highest good for everybody all the time. That's what God's love is. Always seeking someone's highest good. All the time, God's love. And friends, I find out that Paul, even though he knew that there was these different motives, here's what Paul resolved. He said, I'm not going to criticize others. Every man of God is God's servant. He's a man of God. I'm not going to criticize a man of God because that's God's servant. I don't know what God has called him to do. I have my hands full, staying in line and keeping myself on the right path. My hands are full. So I'm not going to judge and I'm not going to criticize another man of God. Have you ever read the story of Aaron and Miriam that one day they go out and Moses had married an Ethiopian wife? Now, don't think about Ethiopia being the small little European section of Africa that uh, that the Europeans chopped up Africa to get resource out, out of it after one of the world wars. And so a lot of nations got really chopped up with these straight lines, putting part of a tribe over here and part of it over here. At one time in ancient maps, a lot of the African continent was called lower and upper Ethiopia, Ethiopia, Ethiopia. Moses marries an Ethiopian wife. And one day his brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam, start complaining about him. God comes out and judges them. And he says, basically, leave that black woman alone. I have a sermon I preach on that, but I'm not going to preach that right here. Okay. He said, leave her alone. Leave her alone. That's Moses's wife. That's your leader's wife. Stop talking about him. Miriam receives leprosy. Aaron is penalized and she's sent outside the camp. And then they say, well, let's just move on and leave Miriam out there. And God said, no, you're not going to move until that woman comes back in. And sometimes the church is stuck because we minimize and we leave women behind. He said, you're not going anywhere until that woman comes back in. And so Marion comes back in. But they learn their lesson. Friends, you and I cannot criticize people because they have multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-racial marriages. And that was a hot topic in the Western world for years. But it didn't start in the Western world. It started with Moses and with Miriam and with Aaron and with him marrying an Ethiopian woman. Listen, don't criticize It's one thing to correct. Correction means I want to adjust what's wrong. Criticism really wants to assault the person. And criticism really wants to belittle the person. Don't criticize. I'm saying don't compromise. Daniel is a man that lived a life in Babylon that lived an uncompromisingly righteous life. And Daniel could have gone into Babylonian captivity. It's estimated Daniel might have come, went into Babylonian captivity about age 16. He's there for 70 years because he's there through Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Cyrus, and Darius. He's there through Babylon. He's there through Babylon. Uh, he's there through Medes rule and the Persian rule. 
He goes in at age 16. He's probably 86 by the time Daniel's book ends. 70 years in captivity. Daniel very easy could have compared himself to the Babylonians and could have become compromised. But he, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the three Hebrew boys, his companions, they held the standard and they never compromised in that. Now listen to me well. America wants to Babylonianize each one of us as men. They want us just, just, just to get in and fit in and shut up. I've determined I'm not going to keep silent. I go to meetings sometime that I'm not invited to, to know what people are talking about. I went to an evangelical meeting. A book was written on, by, on evangelicals by Fitzgerald. She's a female. She did a lecture at Ohio State University. And it was written on the evangelicals tracing the evangelical movement from the Puritans all the way through the evangelical support of Donald Trump. She was a member of Jerry Falwell's church. I invited two men from our church to come. And I said, let's go to this lecture and see what these evangelicals are talking about. I'm charismatic Pentecostal. And so I said, let's go. So I go in and I sit down. We're the only three black guys in this entire big hall. And everybody in there is white. One guy looks back and he said, what are y'all doing in here? And I said, we came to hear the lecture on evangelicals. And then he said, well, you know, they're going to be talking about white evangelicalism, don't you? And I said, yeah. And he said, you're black. I said, I know that. (laughs) (laughs) That's what he said. And he said, what are y'all doing up in here? I said, I came in here to see what y'all talking about. Because in my city, I go to meetings now, that are public meetings because I want to know what they're talking about. I went to a Klan meeting one time. They didn't let me in. They looked at me and they said, you know, this is a Klan meeting, right? And I said, yeah, I got the flyer. <laughs> and he said, well, well brother, he, said, he didn't call me brother. He said, well, well, you can't come in. And I said, well, why not? He said, well, you black. I said, I know that. He said, well, what do you want to come in here for? I said, I want to know what y'all talking about. Some of y'all look at me strange. Y'all to try that sometime. Just bust up in a meeting that's public just to see what people are talking about. But when I get in there, I'm not going to be compromised by my standard. I went to an LBGTQIA forum when they were trying to pass uh, same-sex marriage in our state. I went in there but not compromised. And after they did all the lectures about why they should do it, they asked, were there any questions? I came to the microphone. Obviously, the moderator knew who I was. And when I got to the microphone, first time when somebody came to the microphone, she just said, can you ask your question? She said, now, listen, before you say something, we're not going to have any of that homophobic talk up in here. And that's what she said. And I said, well, let me say this before I ask my question then. I said, a phobia is a fear, and I ain't scared of none of y'all up in here. I said, now I'm going to ask my question. (laughs) I'm not as diplomatic as uh, Pastor John is. I just said, I've listened to everything you say. And I said, I'm a pastor in this city, and I have a network of pastors in this city. And I said, some of us believe different about what marriage is. And if anybody wants to talk with me further, see me at the end of the meeting. I went and sat down. Two men at the NAP meeting came and sent an appointment with me. And they said, I want to talk to you about what you just said. 
And both of those men set separate appointments. I don't even know if they knew each other and asked me questions. And I said, my difference of opinion comes from, and I walked them through Genesis chapter one and two, walked them through a few places in the law, marked them through, walked them through Matthew 19, marked them through Romans chapter one, and then walked them through the revelation. And I said, and this is why I believe what God said. One man said, thank you. He said, I understand what your viewpoint is. He said, I don't agree with it. I understand. The other man told me, he said, listen, he said, I want to inherit the kingdom of God. He said, I talked to a priest and he told me everything I wanted to hear. I said, why did you come to me? He said, because I knew that you would tell me the truth. And then he said this, I want to inherit the kingdom of God. And I guess if I'm going to inherit the kingdom of God, I can't do that. And I left him there. Friends, don't compromise. You don't have to be nasty. You don't have to be disturbing. Just don't compromise. And when I compare myself with other folks, I said, well, this one compromised and this one compromised and this one saying that one. Nah, don't compare yourself. Stay on message and stay on the standard. Don't copy. Now, you need to push the man next to you and say, wake up. And tell him, don't copy. There's a little story in, in, in Acts chapter 19 that comes out of comparison. And comparison will bring forth copying. And that's Acts chapter 19. Anybody know the story of the seven sons of Sceva? Here's some guys who want to copy somebody's methodology and copy their authority because they find somebody demonized. And they've seen these apostles cast out demons in the name of Jesus. So they decided to come in and they said, well, now Paul uses the name of Jesus. Why don't we try that technique? And they compared themselves and copied themselves. I find the story fascinating. Y'all to read the Bible. There's some interesting stuff in it. Because these demons start talking. They said, come out in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. And the demons stand up and they say, now, wait a minute. Paul, we know. Jesus, we know. And they say, well, who are you? And the demons come out, whoop them, strip them from their clothes and drive them out the house because they're comparing themselves with the apostles. And then they start trying to copy the apostles. Look at your neighbor and say, don't copy nobody. You're a marvelous original. You're a poor copy of anybody. Don't copy. Be yourself. Be yourself. Be yourself. Be yourself for him. Be yourself for him. Don't copy. Let me give you some takeaways from this dangers of comparison. Because I tell my sons and this all the time. I remember one time I, when I was raising my sons and my daughters, they wanted to go out at this high school party. And the Holy Spirit said, no, they don't need to go. And I, I told them, no, you're not going tonight. Well, why? And I said, I can answer any question that you ask, but you have to do it with respect. Well, dad, why can't we go? And I said, you're not going because I don't feel like you need to go. I just sense that you don't need to be going to that party tonight. It wasn't going to be anything wrong. I just sensed it. And they said, well, well, the Smiths across the street, they're Christians. They're going. And I said, your name is not Smith. (laughs) Yeah, try this when you get home. Your name is not Smith. Your name is S-C-A-L-E-S Scales. And I said, and the father of this home, 
Lafayette scale says you're not going, they settle down. Unbeknownst to me, some people are smoking marijuana in that house that night. The police were called and some people were transported. My children were at home, not because I knew that was going to happen, but I trust my discernment. And one of the greatest weapons you have about against end time problems and end time deception is trust your discernment. When the spirit of God tells you no on an issue, you may not even have any human reasoning to say no. But the spirit of God is stirring up something and causing you to sift and sort. Listen, don't copy and don't compare. Know your assignment. First of all, that's the way you stay out of comparison. Know your assignment and stay on it. I know I'm called to be an apostolic teacher. I'm an apostle with a teaching gift. I know that I stay on it. Now you can stay flexible and mobile and adaptable, but stay on your assignment. Don't get distracted by what other peoples are doing who are advancing on their assignment. Sometimes people jump out and they go further than you do, faster than you do. Don't compare yourself with them. Let them run the race that is set before them and you stay on track with the race that God has set you on. Listen, don't get distracted by other people's assignment. I've seen people that have small churches and large churches in our city. I don't compare myself with them. Let them run the race that's set before them. Stay focused on your current word of God because man does not live by bread alone, but stay focused on the preceding word of God. What is God saying to you now? There are things that we did in our church 40 years ago that God's not calling us to do those things now. There was a summertime where we set up for about five years in a row. Tent, we had tent meetings for a week all over our city, north side, east side, Sullivan Gardens. We sent up tents. And then there was a time where the grace of God for tent meetings lifted. Another team, younger pastors came up. They said, you guys used to do all these tent meetings and we want to join now. I said, God's not telling us to do that anymore. Well, where are the tents? I said, Lloyd Craycroft Pastor. We, we have bought the tents, had them. We deeded them to them. Now those guys are doing that. Now our responsibility is some other things in our city. Or you understand, stay on your assignment. Ask for help when you need it. God knows if you're a man, you need help. The original man, God created a woman for him. She was called his help me. A creature suitable, adaptable, and appropriate for for her. Look at a man next to you and say, brother, I know you need help. Go ahead and tell him. God said it's not good for a man to be alone. All of us know we need help. It takes courage to ask for help. And friends, we have limitations and we have capacity issues. Let others help us because when they help us, they're fulfilling their assignment. Do you know that some people God has assigned to come and help you? And when you and I are doing everything, we don't let them keep their assignment. Some people helping you are fulfilling their assignment in the Lord and they're coming alongside of you will be the greatest place of fulfillment that they have in ministry. Here's what I want you to remember and not to compare yourself with other people. Listen, things are not as bad as you think. And remember this, things are not as good as you think. Sometimes we're prone to exaggeration. And remember this, it's not as bad as you think. And it's not as good as you think. I remember a lady came to me and a few families left our church one time. And she said, well, well, pastor, what you going to do? Everybody's leaving. I said, everybody ain't leaving. I'm still here. You still here. 
Everything's not as bad as you think. But everything's not as good as you think also. And friends, just remember, don't compare. Remember who called you. Because when God called you, he called you to be uniquely you for him. God knew that I was big, I'm black, I'm loud. I talk fast. But he uses me in the dimensions that he puts me in. Most of the time, most folks know. That when pastors transition, even in ministry, I've seen it happen in our church, in our city, that they find somebody and you see that person has different gifting, different calling, different style. My friend, Timothy Clark, Timothy Clark is about six, three or four. He ministers at the first church of God. He's black. He's a preacher. He has a ham and organ playing behind him when he preaches. when he gets finished preaching. People are melting, falling out in the highways and all that kind of stuff. And I said, Timothy, you know, when you transition from first church, they're probably going to bring in somebody uh, the opposite of you. And he said, yeah, I know. He said, I'm big, black, and loud. They'll probably bring in a quiet, uh, short, white guy, okay? And I said, yeah, you're probably right. They're going to bring in somebody exactly the opposite. And friends, that's it. Do you know that Joshua was different than Moses? Joshua, I mean, they were going and killing a whole city of folk. Moses just killed one guy at a time, you know, until the Red Sea came. Joshua, man, came in and took Jericho down and God said, kill everything, kill the animals, kill the insects, kill the women, the children, the babies. Different. And just remember that. And probably the person that replaces you, even on your job, will have different skills, different abilities, different style. It's all right. Don't compare yourself. I tell people that are succeeding people, don't fight ghosts. And that means don't constantly say, my successor, I said, when you get up, don't say, I'm not Lafayette. Everybody knows you ain't Lafayette. So don't even say that. Be yourself for him. And friends, if you'll do that, people will be ready to accept you. Remember that you are not alone. Remember that you are not alone. You're not alone in this thing. God called Jesus and he's the son of God. He could have done it all himself. You know what he does? He starts walking through the city after he prays. He says, you follow me. You follow me. You follow me. Jesus built a team. Could that have been a model for us to let us know you don't have to go it alone? Yes, amen. Put some people on your team. And then sometimes you're going to put people that have the office of giftings and callings on your team that are different with a different global perspective. My African brothers in our church and sisters, they have a different worldview and world perspective than I have. My Afro-Caribbean brothers and sisters, the one that come from Barbados and, and Aruba and, and, uh, and, 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 uh, uh, and, uh, and the Bahamas and from Jamaica and from Haiti and from the Dominican Republic, they have a different worldview. And friends, have some people that are like that. I have some people from China that were member of our church. They had a different perspective from our church. When they came in dressed very casual from China, when they came in at that time, we were wearing suits and they started dressing up in suits. And when they got ready to leave, they were in graduate school. Both of them earned PhDs. And when they moved to New York to go to work, New York City to go to work, I asked them, tell us some of the things that you learned at Raymond Christian Center. They said, well, when we came in, they said on campus, they wear jeans and they wear uh, shirts. And that's what we wore when we came to Raymond. We saw the men in suits and the lady in night dresses. So we started dressing up. And I said, why did you do that? They said, because people told us we come in here to worship the king and you never come before a king. Just look in any kind of way. And they said they didn't tell us we had to dress like that. But they said, then we learn how to dress appropriate for the occasion. And I said, OK, OK. And so they told me that they said we also learn how to study God's word. 
And they said, we learn how to love God's word and we learn how to do God's word. Remember this. Remember who called you. Remember you're not alone. And remember this, that you have a helper. I don't compare myself with anybody else because my helper, the Holy Spirit, works through me uniquely. And he works through you uniquely. You are sent to some people that I'm not sent to. So God's going to put a different kind of grace and empowerment on your life than he has on mine because I'm sent to a different group of people than you may be sent to. The people that God is sending you to need a different kind of grace. Well, I have to get along like this. They need somebody that can wear a hooded sweatshirt, but still loves the Lord and still has the message and still can deliver the goods and knows how to pray for folks. The folks God is sending you to in your generation, that, yeah, you. (laughs) He started looking around. God, listen, those that God are sending you to, they're going to need what's in you. You will not be Pastor John and Lafayette, but God's going to need you to take the message. The people that God is sending you to, sir, they're going to need you. They're going to need your look, your swag, your swag. They're going to need all of that. They're going to need that from you. And so stay uniquely you for him. You don't have to compromise. Just be you for him. Don't compare yourself with anybody else. Have his word in him. Have your life, his life in you. But be you for him, the people God is sending you to, sir. Some of those folks, nobody else can touch, but they know your reputation. They know your past. But they see what God can do in your life. They can hear you when they couldn't hear me. They thought, that's just a church boy. But they know you. And they need what's in you. Be you for him. The people that God is sending you to. Some of them will look like you, but now you're finding God sending you to people that don't look like you, that don't talk like you, that don't have your accent, that don't have your, uh, your way of articulating things, but they hear you. So be you for him. The people that God is sending you to, Anthony. They're sending you, he's sending you to them because you've been where they are. You sat where they sat. You've walked where they walked. And they say, man, there's no barrier between us because we've had similar experience. Don't compare yourself with anybody. Be uniquely you for him. Let's pray. Father, we'll not compare. We'll not compete. We'll not complain. Because you've called us to be you. Be to you who you've called us to be. Father, I pray that you'll help us stay on assignment in a world that is compromised. In a world that's complaining and in a world that's competing, help us to be us for you with the uniqueness that you made us with. I give you thanksgiving. I give you glory and honor for all that you have done and all that you will do. Let us hear these final words. From a father to a son. And Father, let us follow those. And then, Father, let us remain unique for you in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Our host is getting ready to come, but before I end this session for one minute, who has some takeaways from this session? Okay, I see a hand shot up right there. A lot of compromise happens in the name of the Okay, a lot of compromise happens in the name of diplomacy. Don't compromise. Yes, sir. 
All right. Come on. Say that again. A lot of truth is sacrificed in the name of tolerance. Mm, yes, sir. And I, I'm always like I teach Sunday school and I talk about this all the time. Don't compare yourself because my, my calling is not his calling. It's not your calling. And we, as humans, we tend to measure like, oh, look at all he's done. But I've only done this. Well, God says, I want you to do this. You do that, you're faithful. He says, I want you to do this. You're faithful. Yes, sir. That's all it comes down to is being faithful and saying, yes, Lord, and let him do what he needs to do. And we'll, we'll all be used and God will get the glory. Amen. Amen. Others right here. Don't fight ghosts. Don't fight ghosts. Yes. Yeah. When you're the successor, don't fight what was there. Yes, sir. Over here. Know your assignment and stay on. I heard a yes in here. Okay, several places in this section. Takeaways. Takeaways. Three C's. Don't complain and compare and compete. Okay, he got the three C's down here. Okay, somebody's going to hear this again too. Uh, okay, takeaways. Yes, sir. Remember who called you. Remember who called you. And remember in our first lesson that we're going to see him and he's going to evaluate then we do what we are called to do. Good takeaways. Thanks for being here. Yes, sir. Final one. Remember you have a helper in the Holy Spirit. Uh-huh. You have a helper in the Holy Spirit. And right here in the center, I didn't hear anything from that, but I saw a hand. You're praising the Lord? All right. Then let's give a praise to the Lord and let our host come. Okay. Good, good, good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> good. Good. <laughs> 